funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Silver screen video. My name is Jacob. I'm here with my co-host Jonathan. What's up, John? Not much, Jacob. But no one knew who I was till I picked up a microphone. Dang, that's that's. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't do the Joker. That's what I'm glad. I'm glad. That no, dude. No, that that's coming. <laughs> oh, hold on. Actually, if you're gonna ask that, I'm gonna go and say, why so serious, bro? Oh, like. <laughs> All right. So. T- <laughs> Moving right along, uh, today, today we are going to be talking about the films of Christopher Nolan, and uh, I must say, I think you have something in common with uh, Christopher Nolan. Your your both of your sense of humors uh, really really seem to be uh, kind of equal to each other. What does that mean? What kind of sense of humor does he have? A bad one. He has a bad sense of humor. All right, we'll get into it. Folks, <laughs> okay. Folks, we're doing Christopher Nolan today. Uh, as you can tell, uh, we're, I feel like we're a little rusty, you know, because we've, you know, we banked an episode to to release to you guys, but we haven't done this in a while. And uh, I don't know. I feel like we're a little rusty, a little bit. Uh, but you know, Nolan is something I feel like we both have a lot of thoughts on, and uh, would be a good way to get back in the swing of things. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, if you're going to air our dirty laundry about our our banked <laughs> episode. No, we did have a banked episode. I was traveling across the country. So, yes, it has been a couple of weeks since we recorded it. So it does feel a bit foreign. But, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, pumped I about no uh, I had to start a coup in uh, in Belarus. So that's uh, <laughs> that's where I've been. Did you just abandon it, or did you at least leave them with somewhat functioning leadership? No, it's done. The coup's over with. Yeah, me and my fellow operators moved on uh, once we entered okay. the coup. All right, so so yeah, today we're going to be talking about the man himself, Christopher Nolan. You know, shit, man, where to start on Christopher Nolan? I mean, obviously, we're going to dive right into his movies. We're gonna we're gonna do this episode like we've done in the past with some of the contemporary directors that we've done like uh, Guillermo del Toro and Quentin Tarantino, where we kind of go through uh, all of their movies and discuss them uh, and give them, uh, which <laughs> we didn't talk about this off pod, but give them a ranking or not a ranking, a, uh, a rating from one to five on our, uh, on our classic silver screen video rating scale. So I hope you're ready for that because I just sprung it on you just now. Um, oh, I was, I was born ready. Very similar <laughs> to how, I was born in the dark. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about how insane the... I mean, I guess we'll get to it, but that Bane voice is... Uh, can, can the Tom greatest Hardy, thing ever made by anyone can, in the history of the world. Can Tom Hardy make a movie where he just talks normally? I mean... Dude, I'll tell you, did that one... Did that start off? Did that start it off? Because I believe you have him playing Bane... Was I gotta see? I'm looking it up now because I gotta see if Lawless was before. This has nothing to do with Nolan, but you're 100 percent right. I've got to see if Lawless was before or after um, the Dark Knight Rises because it was right before. So it's okay. almost like so. You've got his last. He you had 
Rock and Rolla and Bronson, he had normal voices. Inception, normal voice. Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, normal voice. Warrior, he was a little gruff and kind of a weird New York accent, but normal. And then we're going to skip This Means War. But then you have just one after the other of just voices where uh, either he doesn't talk or he just has. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what happened. I don't know what if Lawless broke his brain. Well, but... I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, both movies, you know, came out in tw- 2012. And I think I, like I'm going to go out on a limb and say that maybe Dark Knight Rises was filmed before Lawless just because those blockbusters are usually filmed like a long That's time a before they're point. released. So I yeah. think it was Bane, dude. I think Bane broke his brain. Like I, I think also Bane they was- had to go back and do voiceovers too because you couldn't understand him. Right. It's so they yeah. Comments. So it was Bane. Yeah. It was Bane. It was Bane that broke. Uh, that broke Tom Hardy's. Uh, I don't know brain. I guess. Um, Bane. Bane broke his brain, and then Bane broke the bat's back. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Christopher Nolan. I don't know, man. What is there to say about Nolan? I he, he's first of all, let's identify terms here. He is probably he, he's very well regarded, but it's kind of an he, he's almost like a Spielberg, I think, and this will come up later. But I think he's almost like a Steven Spielberg in the sense that he's very kind of. Uh, overrated or he's very lauded or properly rated, whatever you want to, he's, he's very acclaimed, but he's also not taken very seriously. If that makes sense. Like he's one of those directors that people know his name, you know, but as of yet, he hasn't really inspired a lot of like, Oh, he's a genius talk other than like maybe, well, I guess that's not true. I guess that's not true. I guess like there are people like fans online who do think he's a genius and stuff. I don't know, man. He, he's kind of a complicated director to even really get your get your mind around. But, I mean, suffice it to say, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to a movie podcast, you know about Christopher Nolan and you have feelings about him, you know? Yeah, and I'll also say, like, this, the, no, this is not meant... I know this term gets used to be disrespectful, but I'm not meaning it in that way, but I think this is a good way to kind of to kind of split what you're saying which is there are the fanboys of Nolan mm-hmm. who believe fanboy who believe Nolan can do no wrong. Like right. he is a God. He is on the same level as Kubrick. You know, if you give his movie a bad review, we're going to like uh, harass you and all that online. And then there are people who are just like, yeah, Nolan is a competent director, but there are still like some issues. We have, we have talked about this on here before where we feel like sometimes he gets in his own way. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't change the fact that, like I was telling you, while Pod, I think he might be the most ambitious director working today. Right. Like I think he might be the one that takes the most chances on, on really interesting, not just story and the way he directs, but the way he wants his set done. The right. fact that he's talking about how limited CGI he used in Tenant, that's crazy. Right. And when you look at just the hallway scene alone of uh, of Inception and the fact that they built that set and they built a rotating hallway, that's mind-blowing. Nobody does that shit anymore. We talk about shitty CGI all the time on here, and he's, he loves practical, real effects, and I really appreciate that. Right, and not just someone who is ambitious, but someone who has the uh, industry clout, um, 
to be able to get the budgets to pull this shit off, which is even more unusual than having ambition, you know, is being absolutely. And and I'm sure you remember. I'm sorry. You can go ahead. No, I was literally just finishing that thought of like, yeah, like it's rare to have have the coffers to be able to back that ambition up. Yeah. And and, and to build on that, it's like you remember after the Dark Knight came out, uh, you know, they were like, yeah, Nolan's working on this small kind of sci fi movie that he's going to do before the he finishes off the Batman trilogy. And Mm. then like it started to grow and then DiCaprio got involved and it went from like a small indie picture at the time. They were saying like a $40 million budget, maybe to having like a $200 million budget and having just this magnificent cast. Right. And it's like you, if you can do that and then he makes a movie like inception, which love it or hate it, it was a thought provoking, really well shot, really well done film. Like that's what you can do in between making $2 billion films. Like, yeah, okay. Right. That, well, and I feel like The Dark Knight made that all possible. But let's just, I like, I, it, you know, let's just dive into it, man. Because I feel like, you know, because he is a working director, it's kind of, it, it, like, I feel like until, not until he, like, retires or is close to retiring or something, like, will, will we be able to, like, give a summation on Nolan? I, I, get, I get the feeling that he's just getting started. I mean, he's... He's relatively young for a director. I think he just turned 50. Yeah, he just turned 50 like two weeks ago. So, I mean, oh, he's, wow, he's that is young. Yeah, he's relatively young for a director. I mean, I think, I think, uh, yeah, so Following came out when he was, uh, I mean, in his mid-20s. So he's, uh, so yeah, let's just, he, my point is he's, his career is very in media res right now. He, it's kind of, he's kind of in the middle. Who knows where he's going? or kind of what his career will turn out to be. So I think, I think we just follow the, uh, the breadcrumbs of these movies. It'll, uh, it'll help us understand kind of, kind of the larger picture of his career and, and maybe where it's headed in the future. Oh, and of course the, you know, the occasion, uh, this is a very like topical episode because tenant is supposed to come out, uh, sometime soon. Um, am I right? Is it, is it still, Oh no, still... you're right. And, uh, and I'll be watching it. So September third, <laughs> yeah, it's coming out. All the theaters are allegedly reopening to get ready for the tenant release. I'll believe it when I see it. But I mean, hey, if the theaters Me are open, might as well show a new Nolan movie in it. You know, sure. Get um, all those people okay. packed right. in there tight. So, so. <laughs> packed in there tight, breathing the same air. Um, Yay! All right, so let's just let's just start out with following. Following is a movie that was released in 1998. It is uh, kind of a noirish uh, thriller. Uh, it was made while he was in film school or maybe right after he was in film school. And um, it was uh, made very, very DIY, very, very low budget. Um, he saved up some money and basically made this thing on his own. He filmed it on weekends uh, over the course of a year. Uh, because everybody working on it had day jobs. He did it essentially without a crew or without anything resembling a real crew. It was like him and his wife and some friends. Um, And uh, no like filming permits and permission to film. He literally just filmed it like on the fly. And like the people who are in the movie, like don't have like, he doesn't have their permission to film them, you know, that type of thing. So aside from the the actors, obviously, but uh, really, really DIY. Um, and it's only like an hour and 10 minutes long. 
So I, the first thing I'll say about following is it strikes me that we even really kind of have this as a Christopher Nolan movie. Like it's released on the Criterion Collection and it's like people view this as Christopher Nolan's first movie. Whereas I'm kind of thinking like, I'm wondering why he didn't just like maybe view the movie as it stands. as kind of like a proof of concept to make like a movie with an actual budget. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how people will make like Kevin Smith will make a short film called Clerks and like kind of parlay it into like an actual movie deal with a studio. And I'm wondering why. Yeah, Nolan... it's like they did with Whiplash. Like he made like a 28 minute short. Yeah. As yeah, a proof that... of concept. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to why. Um, I mean, he just went for it right at the fucking gate. And, I, you know, it's it's a really amateur movie. I don't know. What do you think about following, man? Well, you know, it is an amateur movie, and I just, I don't love this movie. I know a lot of people, I feel like this movie gets the credit, like gets the the um, the goodwill of like hindsight. So mm-hmm. it's like you watch all of his films, and then you find out, oh, he has this kind of low budget independent film he did back in 98. It's on YouTube. I'll watch it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I could definitely see the makings of a genius. And it's like, I'm sorry. I guess they're more insightful than I am. Cause I don't, it's not bad by any means, but you know, he should have just considered this. It's too long to be a short and it's too short to be a feature. Right. So I don't know where he would have put it. I don't know if like he could go the proof of concept idea, like you were talking about, or he could just be like, yeah, this is just an overly long short film. I did it with, you know, low budget, blah, blah, blah. And consider memento his first film, maybe because mm-hmm. I think Memento does the job of showing the makings of a of a phenomenal director than following does. Like following just it's too amateur. Like I'm not saying it's bad. It took a lot to pull off. And he he used majority handheld and like it wasn't bad by any means. But I mean, obviously I think it goes without saying, even if we are going to consider this his feature film, uh, a feature film, I should say, for me it's his weakest movie. I mean, which I don't even think it's fair to say because like it's 70 minutes. It's not even fair to assess this the way we assess the others. See, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. That's kind of how I feel about it is that, you know, it's between the way that he talks about it and the way that it is talked about. It is, you know, the official Christopher Nolan first movie. But I'm just wondering, like, why? Why not bury this if you're him? You know, like, why not? You know, I, I don't know, man. It, it just it because and, and this is going to sound like maybe not elitist, but it's going to sound like I'm, you know, really caping hard for the for the corporations or whatever. But, you know, and, you know, maybe people like, you know, OK, the DIY thing, right? Like people there are some good movies made like that. But if you're being honest, right, most movies throughout history have not been made like with this whole DIY aesthetic. Right. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because film is like a kind of mass entertainment, even like artsy films and stuff. Even you take Tarkovsky and Stalker and, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Those are movies made by studios, made by, you know, union professional crew with an an actual artist who's getting paid for his work by a studio and with distribution and stuff. And I'm not saying those mechanisms are always perfect, but those are definitely, I think, kind of the dominant and best that's what produces the best movies and when you go 
really, really DIY, it's really hard to hide the seams, you know? Like with this movie, I think the the black and white cinematography, the 16 millimeter, I think it's very nice. It's beautiful. But there's a like there's a lot of amateurish stuff in here, man. I think the acting is horrible in this movie. Like the 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 cob guy and even the main guy, like I I think the acting is amateurish almost to a fault. Like you can tell he just doesn't have the resources at his disposal to make this movie the way that he wants to make it. And so it's like admirable, but while I'm watching it, I'm just like, dude, I, this is Christopher Nolan, man. Like what, like, what is this? This is, this is a student film, you know? I agree with you. And, and since you've already mentioned clerks, we can actually use that once again, clerks has bad acting, but it's endearing. It's like, you got a bunch of Jersey guys and girls running around and video stores and hockey, and you're just everyday dudes. And it's fun to watch you. This movie, however, thinks more of itself. No offense to Clerks, because obviously Clerks, to me, is a much better film. But this movie thinks more of itself. So when the acting is so bad, it kind of doesn't fit with the movie that's like, yeah, look how beautiful it is. It's black and white. The cinematography, look what I'm trying to do. But then your acting is just awful. Like it kind of brings down the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Cause, cause clerks is not, yeah. Clerks is a comedy and it's just about guys hanging out. And I mean, and at the end of the day, you're talking about a movie that was, that was kind of bought by Miramax, like, and, and, you know, uh, Kevin Smith became like one of the jewels in the Weinstein crown, you know, uh, in the nineties. And that's not the case with this movie. This movie really feels like amateur hour, like something that he would be like, like yeah, like I'm gonna put it up on the, I'm gonna put it up on YouTube. And hey, isn't this funny? This is my this is my first movie I ever made. But it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's um, and I'll tell you this. Um, we'll get into this in the future. But I, I think something that Nolan has a huge problem with is editing. I, I and I don't understand it. I don't understand why he's so bad at editing around like time and space. Um, I feel like he has no concept of that. And I don't know. We'll get into that later. But well, there, there's two things we'll say off the bat that I, we can just kind of say now. You just said one of them. His two flaws, if you really like, if you want to just look at his career, is editing and he can't write female characters. He just right. can't. And I think those are two flaws that most people, if you're being objective and you're not just being like a, like a hardcore fan and you're kind of looking at it. That's not a knock. Every director has flaws. Like his just happens to be like that. And I feel like there's, we'll get to two movies in particular where it's like, good God, you, you should have had someone else kind of help you edit. Right. Because I don't know what's happening, but that's here nor there. But yeah, I agree with you. So, so what would you give following? Do we even want to rank this movie or do we just want to say it is what it is? Well, I'll say this. I I do want to say I do like some things about it. Um, and I do like the, um, th- there are some interesting themes in here that I think he would, he'll return to. And I think the, the whole cinematography and the crowd and picking someone out of the crowd, there's some really good ideas here and really interesting, um, like thematic things about voyeurism and about watching and about, um, and and that that kind of that kind of thematic like material is echoed in the shots of the crowds 
and stuff and how and there's one really great shot where like you can see the crowd and then it pans down to the cob guy looking at the main character and like that idea of like picking one person out of a crowd you know I don't know. There's some really interesting thematic stuff going on and some of it is mirrored in the cinematography, but at the end of the day, you can find, you can find him butting up against the limits of his budget and bumping up against the limits of his, uh, his resources, which is those themes don't really go anywhere. The actors aren't strong enough to be able to carry them. Um, he can't you can tell he really can't film what he wants. It feels like he's editing around bad performances and it's just um it doesn't quite work that being said i would give this movie a three i think it works just enough to not be a two um it's significantly flawed but i do think it is still a good worthwhile movie but i would not object to anybody saying that it's a two meaning that it's you know mostly flawed with some good things in it you know yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think there is some positive here. Like it's not all negative. Like right. it's and 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 if like I don't want anybody to make it, make it feel like we're beating up a 70 minute movie that was like obviously out of the gate, super low budget and all that. So I mean, there's some positive stuff here, but I feel like in terms of like telling a story the way he wanted to tell and his editing, his use of editing and stuff, I just feel like his next movie did everything better. And that's mm-hmm. not surprising. He had a better cast and he had a better budget. Having well, said that, it's a real movie, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a real film. So having said that, like I, I would give this a two and a half star. Like right. I'm not going to give it a two because I think it is like when you look at some out of the gate, like, you know, do it yourself, low budget projects, there are significantly worse ones. And he, he was on the right track. But once again, the most perplexing thing about this film is, is the fact that it's so like, yeah, this is like, yeah, this is it. Like Criterion, et cetera, et cetera. It's just really weird to me. Like, I don't understand it, but that's here nor there about the rating. So two and a half stars. It's worth watching. It's on YouTube. It's free. Just watch it. 70 minutes. Yeah. And I, um, I mean, I, and I can recommend, I mean, if, if the, if anybody out there has the Criterion channel, I'm like the, the quality of the print on the Criterion channel is really great. Like I, I do think the black and white looks really good, but yeah, if you don't want to, like, if you don't have that or whatever, it's certainly worth a watch on YouTube. But, and I do think if you're not, if you're, you know, worth thinking about it in the context of Christopher Nolan's career and, you know, kind of trying to identify what is he and, and what to make of him and, and all that. If you're not thinking about it in regards to that and you're just watching the movie, like you'll enjoy it. Like, it's not like you're watching it thinking this fucking sucks, but it's, you know, it's just kind of a little spark of what, what is to come later, you know? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, that's what it is. So yeah, when you watch it, just watch it with that in mind. So. All right, man, you want to move but, on to uh, Memento? Yeah. Uh, but I forgot what were we talking about again? Oh God. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm sorry. There's I, I have this thing where I humor. <laughs> there's, I have this thing where I can't remember. Like I'm sure we'll have this conversation again. Um, <laughs> no, dude, Memento, uh, dude, Memento to me is is a special movie. I think this, if I remember correctly, this is my first Nolan movie I ever watched, mm-hmm. and it's fucking great. I love everything about this movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell them what it's about and then we can talk about it? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. So Memento, if you haven't seen it, Memento is, um, God, I'm going to butcher this. I feel like, um, Oh, I can, t- I can say if you want me to, I got the synopsis pulled up. 
Oh, go for it then. Yeah, it's just really simple. It's a man with short-term memory loss, and he's trying to find the people that murdered his wife. So, like, yeah, Guy Pierce just plays a guy. You you hear about it several times throughout the film. The story is told in a really interesting way. It's told out of order. You did you know there was a cut you can watch where they tell the story in order? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really bizarre to me. I've never watched it before. Yeah, I knew it, it's it's on some copies of of some like Blu-ray copies. I think um, that's pretty cool. But yeah, but it, it's not just told out of order. It, it's 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 told backwards, but in fifth. So the narrative is going backwards, and it'll show. It's like if for those of you who haven't seen it, it'll show the the last fifteen minutes first. And we'll just say fifteen or ten minutes, uh, even though it's it's the the time chunks are different. But it'll show you the la- yeah. like last ten minutes, and then the ten minutes before that, and the ten minutes before that, and the ten minutes before that. So it's told backwards, but it's like not in reverse, obviously. Like, um, yeah. So it's a really really interesting uh, uh, narrative uh, way to tell a movie, and. I, you know, I'll say this. I think this movie is really good. Um, I, I I think that the narrative is still the best thing about it. And still um, the way to tell this story is with the time, the time, uh, the way that it messes with time and all that. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a fascinating, incredible way to do what essentially is kind of like an L.A. like noir movie. You know, similar to like Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, you know, the the kind of uh, Tarantino of the 90s. It's kind of it's that kind of movie, but it's just a whole different universe because it's it plays around with chronology and time in this weird way. So and you do consider this a neo-noir then? I definitely do. Yeah. OK. Why yeah, you, I did, too. I just that? wasn't sure if you would. No, no, okay, no I yeah. do. A hundred percent. I just wasn't sure if you would agree. Yeah, I think it's and, you know, I think it's a lot of these like kind of, you know, filmmakers who 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 are the generation after people like Scorsese or not Scorsese, um, a generation after people like Michael Mann, um, you know, who have came up on all these genre movies and stuff. And it's like, you know, I can respect that being like, I want to do like a L.A. noir, but I want to do it in a different way. And that chronology stuff is really, really fascinating. And it. And it it holds up, man. I was thinking like, well, I know the, the kind of twists and the turns of this movie, but it turns out I didn't. It turns out like when I'm watching it again, I was like, oh, shit, I forgot about this. And, oh, you know, I forgot that the story goes in this direction. And, um, you know, I, it's a, it's really good, man. I, I think this is a, I think this is like a, a it's a noir update that just when you think you've seen them all, it's like, oh, wow, I really haven't seen them all. I, I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, you know, I I did rewatch it for this episode, and I do think it held up surprisingly well. I'm a big Guy Pierce fan in general. I think he's great, and uh, and I think he carries this film really well. And it had a it had a really good cast. So I mean, if we, in my opinion, like if you want to look at feature length, real film, real money, real studio, which I know you don't need money in studio to make a great movie, but that's here nor there. I would consider this as his first movie, honestly. Yeah. So. Um, it, it's yeah, for me, this is, this is, you can go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's definitely his first arrival on the scene. Like of like this movie was, it, it premiered at Sundance. It was widely seen. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like obviously a blockbuster, but it was, people saw it and people knew about it. Like I saw this movie in, um, 
Wait, so it came out in uh, the year 2000. I'm I'm pretty sure I saw it uh, probably in 2001 or 2002. So like as a high school student who like in the pre really stone age of the internet, like somehow I found out about this movie. So like people were talking about it, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it like, it, I feel like it was almost like a hit right off the bat. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And uh, also like, I know matrix came out in 99. So what's her face was in this Carrie Ann Moss. That's so right. that was kind of a big deal too, because you know, matrix was huge. So, uh, so yeah, this movie had a lot of things uh, going right for it in terms of getting it, getting out there and like, Hey, this is a really interesting movie. Like, cause it was in the same twisty vein as like, you know, when Shyamalan hit the scene with like six cents or unbreakable yeah. or any of that, like it fit in that kind of uh little like genre of films. So, um, yeah, that's true. Now what's tw- twisty micro genre. Yeah. Now what's weird is before we move on to insomnia, when you watch this film, like you see the making, like you see like this guy knows what he's doing like this, like mm. he, he can, he can hold, he can handle a camera. He knows his shots. The cinematography's good. And the editing was surprisingly good given what we like. I think we both agree his editing somewhat suffers in other films. Can you see like when you saw this, it might be hard to answer, but did you think this would be the guy that would like revitalize Batman after the, the, you know, the terrible thing that was like the Schumacher's movies? Like, like, are you surprised? Like, were you surprised by that? Like, cause it's kind of weird. I'll tell you this there. Like, this is the, this is the last, well, this and the next movie we're going to talk about. This is the last version. This is the last of this Nolan that we get to see. Like he, there is no indication in Memento or the next movie, Insomnia, that he would become the director that he would become, you know, not just the revitalization of Batman, but the huge spectacle blockbusters of Inception and Interstellar. And yeah, there, there was no indication that that's what he would turn into. And honestly, I don't think he would have turned into that unless the Dark Knight had been that successful because he wouldn't have had the, you know, he wouldn't have had the resources and the studio club. Um, yeah, because Batman Begins was not a huge success. Like Batman, the Batman character was still suffering from from the two previous films. So it made money and it kind of reminded everyone that Batman can be taken seriously and like, yeah, we can make a movie out of this. But Begins was not what you would call like a smash hit. Right. So. Right. So, yeah, I don't think there. I think you watch Memento. And honestly, I don't think there's any indication uh, that of, of, of the filmmaker to come. I really, really don't. It, it just, it seems like it was made by somebody else, which is fine. Like it's, it's really good for what it is, but I can't imagine him ever making, ever making anything this small ever again. I, it, it just, I just can't see it happening. Now that I, I think to, he's somewhat addicted to these huge sets and big budgets. Yeah. I think he's just like, yeah, I can do this give me a quarter of a billion dollars and I will, I will make you like, you know, five times that. And I will make a huge, stunning, ambitious film. Yeah. When I think of Christopher Nolan, when I think what I like about him and when I think about identifying what kind of director he is and what kind of artist he is, I don't think of Memento, even though I like Memento quite a bit. It's, it's yeah, just, no, same here. This isn't who he is anymore, but I do want to, I do want to, before we move on to insomnia, I do want to say one other thing is that I disagree with you about, I think about the visuals in this movie. I think the visuals in this movie are 
the only reason that I would that I would give it a four um, in, on my scale, I'm actually now giving it a five. I thought it was a five before I rewatched it, but rewatching it, I had to bump it down to a four because I think the the editing and the visuals of this. I mean, I feel like you're you're, you're setting it in the world of LA, you know, noir from the '90s. There's a lot of great examples of this: Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, uh, Heat. You know. Michael Mann, Tarantino, they've already done their work for you. Like this is an identifiable place for a movie to take place in. Like there's a bunch of like, even the Shane Black, like Lucky Number Slevin and um, uh, what's the, uh, or not Shane, not Lucky Number Slevin. What's the movie I'm thinking Kiss, of? Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, right? Like there's a blueprint for these kind of movies and a kind of a visual blueprint of like, okay, yeah, this takes place in the seedier side of Los Angeles that you don't get to see very often. So like his visual language was kind of, it's kind of like paint the numbers, you know, if you're going to make this movie in Southern California, but like, I think the editing is just, is just, I think it's complete visual nonsense. Like there's, there's very few establishing shots. There's very few, I don't know. The editing is often like done so you can't really tell what's going on. And sometimes that works because the narrative is structured so that sometimes you don't know what's going on. But I just think like watching this, I just like, I'm watching it and I'm just like, wow, the man can really tell a story. Can he film a story? I don't know. It doesn't look like he can, but he can certainly tell a story, you know? And so that's why I had to bump it down to four because I just, I just, I don't know, man. Like when I'm watching it, when I'm, when I'm thinking of fives, when I'm thinking of masterpieces, I want to be visually dazzled. Not that it has to be visually dazzling in the sense like, it has to be interstellar, but it has to be visually dazzling in the sense that Jackie Brown is visually dazzling, you know? And it's just, that's why I had to bump it down to a four, but I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, about the visuals and the, me giving it a four and all that? Well, I'm giving it a four too, but not for any of the reasons you said I'm okay. giving it a four because I do, I do love this movie. Like I personally love it, but in terms of looking at his filmography it is probably my third or fourth favorite film. Like this is not what I would consider a masterpiece. It's just one of those movies that I happen to love. Um, But he's done better films since in terms of his editing in this film. I personally think that it fits the mood of the film. It fits the way they want it to shoot it and it fits what they were trying to do. But I can understand your point of view as well. Like just my opinion is it fits in with what they were doing. But if I, if I look at it from like a, like, a pure technicality standpoint of like, this is what you need to do to visually tell a story. I can see that. So I can't really argue with you there. So, I mean, we're both giving it a four, um, but probably not for the, I mean, obviously not for the same reasons. So, yeah, no, I, I see. I like, I, I can hear that argument a hundred percent that like the, the sort of editing and visual style, but like knowing what I know about the rest of his, his work, like it's kind of just like, all right, well, I don't know. It, it, and also it's a personal thing. I'm just like, like, I can't, I can't, I can't five up a movie this visually unappealing, I guess. Um, also, I feel like this is, and we should move on because we've been talking about it for a while, but I feel like this is a movie you grow out of, you know, like this is a movie that you watch when you're younger and you're like, this is the greatest thing ever made. And then you watch it when you're older and you're like, okay, like it's still good, but it's just, it's not rocking my world. Like it did when I first saw it. And that's fine. Like you, you know, you grow up and you move on to different things, you know? I agree with that. Cause I mean, he really does have, 
I mean, in terms of movies I would rather watch he's done, there's probably like four ahead of this one. Yeah. Like, but you know, 10 years ago, I probably would be like, oh, hell no. Memento is like the one I want to watch. Right. And I, I remember so, thinking at certain points through Nolan's career, man, I hope he gets back to doing, I would love to see him getting back to doing smaller stories like Memento. And now I don't think that at all. Like, I don't want him to go back to doing movies like Memento. I, I like his, his current big budget blockbuster mode. Whereas, I well, I mean, it, it, no, you can go ahead. No, I was just going to say at certain points, I remember it, throughout his career, I remember thinking, I wish he would return to smaller shit. And now I'm just like, no, fuck it. He's better at the big stuff, you know? And I'm going to go ahead and say this. I've already, I've already said it uh, in some way, but I'm going to say for him and his brother, Jonathan Nolan, and he, he, he does a lot of writing with him. Uh, and I believe Jonathan Nolan almost also co-created Westworld. Um, look, man, they have, they have big ambitious ideas. Like mm-hmm. they have things that are out of the box and amazing and, and cool, but, I'm sorry, Nolan, like the, the reason those big blockbusters work better for him, and this is probably a conversation we should have later, but I'll just go ahead and say it just to, so you can kind of think about it and we can return to it, is I think it does kind of distract us from bigger problems. Yes. And I think there's one movie in particular where that is like, that literally breaks down the movie and it's going to be very unpopular, I feel certain, but we'll get to it. Ooh, um, interesting. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Insomnia. I know that uh, this was your first time watching it, wasn't it? Yeah, I had never seen it before. So um, basically, two detectives go to Alaska where like the sun doesn't set. That is true. I've dealt with that in Alaska. It's not very (laughs) fun. And they're investigating um, a murder of a teen. And it it I think this might be my favorite. um, How did I just forget his name? Um, Robin you know, Williams. Uh, Robin Williams. This might be one of my favorite performances from Robin Williams. Right. So anyway, I want to hear what you think about this movie because I, I I've already told you how I feel about it, but we'll visit that, revisit that. But I want to know what did you think of it? You know, I I didn't like this movie as much as I thought I would. I w- I was ready to, like I was ready to go in. I like this kind of thing. I mean, a psychological thriller from two thousand two, like. I feel like in the year 2002, like I was watching nothing but like shitty psychological thrillers, like, you know, stuff like uh, like seven ripoffs, you know, like Kate Hudson in the Skeleton Key or, uh, you know, uh, fucking uh, uh, what was the name of that movie with John Cusack? Identity, you know, shit like that. Like, there was, oh, yeah, yeah. There was there was a million movies like this that came out around that time in the early 2000s. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm down. But there was a complicating factor. And the complicating factor was that this is a remake of a 1997 Norwegian movie that uh, that was fairly like well acclaimed. It's uh, Criterion released it. And I had actually seen it way before I had seen the remake, obviously, because I just watched the remake for the first time. And, you know, it's a it, I'll, I'll just cut it short. I, I gave this movie a three. Because I do think it's good. I think the plot of it is like good and it's it's well executed and Robin Williams is good, but I just couldn't help but compare it to the original. And you know, it's almost like remember when Let the Right One In came out and then Let Me In with uh Chloe Grace Moritz and all that, the remake of the the vampire movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what it was like for me. Like and I'm, I don't think the original is great, but I think it's 
I think it's I think it's good. And I think the the story and the idea is what's great. And so the whole time I was just thinking like, oh, well, I've I've seen this before, because in some ways it's really, really, really similar, especially visually, which shocked me a little bit, to be honest. It shocked me how visually similar um, this was compared to um, compared to the original. But some of the choices that are different are unusual. Like Robin Williams doesn't show up until like, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the movie. Whereas the Robin Williams character in the Norwegian movie is there from the very beginning, like visually, like you see him and he's interacting. He's not just like calling them on the phone. And so I don't know, man, I wanted to like this movie, but I just, I, you know, and I did enjoy seeing Pacino doing the whole thing, you know, and being sleepy and all that, but I don't know. Yeah, dude, I, I, I honestly, I totally get that. This is one of those movies where once again, I find myself in like a memento situation where it's like, I feel like I like this more than the movie actually is good because I love the movie. It's a five star for me. I think Holy that, I, yeah, I love it. I think that it might be. I mean, I, I don't actually, I, I, in my opinion, it's the most underrated Nolan film. Every time I see a list, this movie's last and I have no idea why. Like it, it's got great performances. I love the atmosphere. I love the way they shoot it. I love everything about what they did. And I've seen it several times. It's just, it's one of those movies, man. Like I, I really, really enjoy it. So I, I understand everything you said to a point. And I think honestly, this just comes down to like, I firmly believe this is a, a great film. Like I think that, I mean, well actually, okay, let's say four and a half for sake of our system, because it will be unfair for what's to come. Because I, I like I said, I admit I like this movie more than it is good. So I'll say right. four and a half. So, but I love it. I love everything about it. I'm, I'm going to watch the original because I didn't know it was a remake until you told me. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a couple of Norwegian films that I've watched the American remake and the original, and I love them both. Yeah. So I'm hoping this will be just another case of like, oh yeah, this is awesome. But the American remakes awesome too. So, yeah. I mean, if you like it that much, you definitely should, um, should, should watch it. It's got, uh, you know, Stellan Skarsgård in it. He's the main character. He's the Al Pacino character. Yeah. Um, it's so weird because there is another, there's another Norwegian film called in order of disappearance that, that we did an American remake of starring Liam Neeson and Stellan Skarsgård is also the lead in that. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess he was, I guess he was somebody in Norway before he became, uh, kind of an American bit player. Um, but yeah, it's you know, look, I, I'm the the story is good and interesting, but the problem the problem with it with it is honestly is that I just knew it ahead of time, you know, like really, like I, I it's kind of like this fun twisty narrative, and it goes in directions you don't think it's gonna go, and it's like, well, okay, that's cool, but like I just knew it ahead of time, and honestly, that was a big disadvantage for me. And visually, I mean, you know how I feel about. Nolan visually, I think the same kind of strange incompetent editing and not really any sense of like time and space, which again, baffles me, but 
it uh, you know it is entertaining and it is a good movie. Like I would recommend you know people to watch this if if they like like psychological thrillers and stuff. But I just it was just spoiled for me, man. Like it just and I don't even like the original that much, even though I think the original is good. But it just um, I don't know, man. It just it just didn't hit for me because I just knew the story already and and it just um, yeah I don't know. And the Norwegian one, it has this strange weirdness to it, which maybe because it's Norwegian or I don't know why, but it has this weirdness to it that uh, Insomnia doesn't. I, don't know. I, I do like Hilary Swank a lot in this movie. I think I like her kind of earnest, uh, earnest police detective. Um, I like that character for her and something that she pulls off really well. And Robin Williams is good. Yeah, I, I think she plays well off Al Pacino. She does. She yeah. does. Yeah, she plays really well off of him. And Pacino is good, and Robin Williams is good, even though I just wish Robin Williams was in it more. But I don't know. You know, it is what it is. I I feel like I I can't have I can't be completely pure with this movie just because I, I knew exactly what the plot was going in, you know? Yeah, and I'll go ahead and say for a little preview, um, I'm a big fan of Norwegian cinema, honestly, because I'm a big fan of like just that entire culture and part of the world in general. But for our next silver screen six pack, there is a Norwegian film that I got you to watch that we'll be discussing. I won't reveal the name for oh, that's right suspense reasons. Um, so yeah, so I yeah, I'm a big fan of that. So I mean, yeah, I'm I'm legitimately like looking forward to watching the the uh, the remake because you're right or the original because you're right. They do have this weird vibe to all of their movies, and I love it. It's like this weird underlying discomfort. I don't know. Right. It's that, uh, it's that, I think the, there's a literary name for it, which is Nordic noir, you know, oh, it's kind yeah, of like, okay. but it's like, everything's white instead of dark, you know, like that, that punishing like uh, light because it's, you know, so, you know, bright up there near the Arctic circle and all that. But, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It's, uh, I, I wanted to like this more. I really did because it, it's my kind of thing, but I just, like once I saw that, oh, the the plot is the same as the other one. Like, okay, I, I thought it might go in a different direction, but. Um. Well, I was hoping you would like it, but for longtime listeners, they know that I'm pretty much used to getting uh, my heart broken by by films that I really like, and you're like, eh, three. So, <laughs> hey, what can I say, man? I'm a uh, you know, I, I disappoint people. That's what I do. So um, this is where. For me, upon revisiting, this is where the weirdness begins. This is where my Nolan journey takes a bizarre turn. Uh-oh. And that I, is dude, Bat- I think we're on the same page here, man. Dude, uh, okay, so Batman Begins. There's no reason to uh, tell you what it's about. We've all seen it. It's freaking Batman. Uh, what do you think, man? Lay it out upon revisiting, and then I'm pretty sure, judging from what you just said, we're probably going to agree on everything. <laughs> I, I'll tell you this, when this movie came out in 2005, it was awesome because at the time, you know, the Batman movies were really corny and, uh, you know, George Clooney and the nipple bat suit and stuff. And I love Batman. I should say that I'm not a comic book guy and I don't think I've ever actually read a Batman comic book, but I loved Batman from the animated series in the nineties. I know you, I know you watched that. Um, Oh, hell yeah. And also, while we're talking about Batman, just real quick, I think it's on Netflix now, so there's no reason not to watch it. Uh, whenever people sit around discussing the best Batman film, let's not forget Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, go on Netflix and watch it, because it is the best Batman film. 
live action animate it doesn't matter go watch it. you know i've always heard that but i've never seen it so i should i should get, finally get around to watching it yeah it just hit netflix and i actually watched it again it, it is due because you know the batman animated series dealt with a lot of like adult themes like that bruce wayne was going through as oh, yeah. like the psychological issues that batman would obviously have in real life so yeah, yeah it's awesome anyway so i thought i'd throw that out there but yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of batman too huge fan actually yeah, I, I, and honestly, I think I, I think more people in our generation are kind of older millennials, like know a lot about Batman because that animated series was really popular when we were younger, and not just the animated series, but I mean, you know, when we were growing up, it was the uh, the Tim Burton movies, and then that kind of evolved into the Joel Schumacher movies, and you know, R.I.P. and and so Batman, I feel like holds a larger like uh, place in the modern kind of cultural canon than some of these other superheroes do. Of course, I'm sure that'll change with this new generation of Marvel movies and all that. But um, at the time, Batman Begins was really insane. It was like, oh my God, this is Batman, but realistic. That was the hook. And I remember thinking that at the time, like, oh my God, this is Batman's good again. This is, this rules. Um, Revisiting it, you know, I still think it's a good movie. I gave it a three. I still think it's a good movie. But my God, there is a lot. The visuals are a disaster, I think. The the, the editing, obviously, is a chronic Nolan problem. But the visuals are a disaster. Still the same, you know, no sense of space and time. Um, there's a lot of really weird, corny Nolan shit. Like, really corny one-liners and stuff. And I feel like people kind of discount and say like oh well this is the nolan batman franchise but there's a lot of shit left over from previous batman movies in this like the one-liners and the and there is an almost kind of cartoony comic book nature of it and that tells you something about the time it was made because at the time it didn't at the time it felt really grim and serious whereas now it feels way more silly knowing what would come after meaning the dark knight and the dark knight rises um some of the fight scenes are absolutely incomprehensible. He's getting better, but it's completely incomprehensible sometimes. He seems pretty unsure of himself. And honestly, honest to God, the first 45 minutes of this movie are a complete drag. The child actors and the the, the parents getting killed. I mean, you know the fucking Batman story by now, I'm sure. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know. What did you think, man? It, was this the direction you were going to go in or did I, did I miss the, the cue there? Um, would you say that our opinion is going to rattle some cages? <laughs> um, <laughs> buckle up, <laughs> buckle up, buttercup. So, 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 uh, I, for, for some weird reason, the rattle some cages scene is something I always think of randomly and go back to, um, okay, look, this movie has a lot of problems. It's boring for most of it. Uh, the editing <laughs> The the editing is atrocious. I'm sorry, dude. I, when I watched this movie in theaters, like you said, my like my, my jaw was on the on the floor. Yeah, I was yeah, like, this yeah, this yeah. this is it, man. This is this is Batman. Like, because you know we were we were like what you know 14 years, 13 years removed from Batman Returns, which was the last good Batman movie when this came out, and like you're like okay, we've returned like to this like gritty like this is it. I don't mind the one liners. The, f- the feeling was that this is the Batman we'd always dreamed of. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I don't mind the one-liners, like the swear to me 
and the rattle some cages and all this, like, <laughs> I don't have to save you or I, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. I love all those lines. I dig it. But dude, the visuals are what do it, man. Yeah. It's like, until I watched this again, I thought Taken was the first terribly edited movie, like with fight scenes that, uh, Liam Neeson was in, I was wrong. The fight <laughs> scenes in this movie are atrocious. They are all yeah. over the place sloppy. But, um, I mean, outside of that, dude, who in God's name thought Katie Holmes was a good cast here? Like she's, she's like a, a cardboard cutout on set. Yeah. Like I don't understand. Um, cause, cause when we get to the dark night, which is an improvement in every way, obviously Gyllenhaal was like really good to me. I mean, in my opinion anyway. So, um, Anyway, dude, look, Christian Bell was great. I really did dig him. Michael Caine, also great. I mean, he's great in everything anyway. But but this movie did suffer. It, it suffered uh, on, upon a revisit. I haven't revisited this movie in probably five years because obviously the last two are the ones that I rewatch more. So I, uh, yeah, I'd give this a three and a half. Like it's not, it's still good, but it's not what I thought. Like, when I watched this in 2005, at the time, I would have been like, oh, five stars across the board. Perfect mm-hmm. in every way. So, but yeah. It, it, you know, speaking of visual incomprehensibility, like I, I just want to like outline kind of for our listeners what exactly we're talking about here. And or I guess I'll speak for myself and you tell me what you think. When, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm talking about how Nola has no sense of space and time, what I mean is think of a movie scene. Right. Think of a conventional movie scene. There's, you know, you'll see like a wide shot to let us know where we are, you know, and then a medium shot to kind of give us more context and then a close up. Right. Now, that's a very simplistic way to shoot a scene, but it's simplistic for a reason, because that works. It lets your audience know geographically what the space is like that the scene is taking place in. Right. What is this space? Because you're going to have your characters move around the space and you want your audience to be oriented, right? And you also want to give a sense of how much time is being passed, right? Like, is this conversation taking 10 minutes of screen time? or, or, or of, Yeah, 10 minutes of real time on the screen? Or is it taking place over 30 minutes and you're kind of having different things happen, you know, but because you can't show a full 30-minute conversation on screen? You know, so how do you indicate the time has passed, you know, maybe you cut to the outside of the house, you know, and then go back to them talking, you know, again, to let you know that time has passed. Now, these are all very simplistic things. But if you look closely in these movies, Christopher Nolan doesn't do that. He doesn't give you a sense of space and time via his editing. And the camera angles are strange compositions that 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 cut off people the tops of people's heads and it's 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 very very strange it's it's almost to the point where it's like it's so bad is he doing this on purpose like is there something and i know he's colorblind so i'm like is there some kind of visual like problem that is like what is the issue here and you know i i just i don't know it baffles it it baffles the mind like the visual language of of something like this now he does get better at it a hundred percent but early on man it's just like i don't know i don't know maybe he was working with a different editor a different crew I, like i don't know does that kind of line up with what with what you're talking about because i wanted to get a little more specific in exactly what we mean when we say that 
It it does, but for me, I'm not even going to go that deep with it. Like because that's like one of those things where it's like you may or may not notice depending on like how you watch a film and what you're going to pay attention to. Mine's much more surface level. Mine is it is almost like your stunt coordinators like this is a good example. Watch a John Wick movie and then watch Batman Begins. Right. right. Like you have stunt guys that know what they're doing with these long choreographed, well choreographed takes where you have fighting and you see everything. You see the blows land. You see the people flip. You see people get thrown. But then you like look at the fight scene at the prison, which I know takes place in like the mud and it's dirty, but the quick cuts are all over the place. Then you look mm-hmm. at the fight scene when he gets to Ra's al Ghul and they're just sloppy. And I'm sorry, you can forgive some things, but it's like, when you're dealing with someone who's primarily hand to hand, that's all you have. Like that's why John Wick is so special because it is so hand to hand. We want you to see everything because we want you to be in the movie. Right. So like his hand to hand improves a little bit when you get to like the Dark Knight Rises because the Dark Knight's a, a different a different one, which we'll get to. But the Dark Knight Rises, man the fights between him and Bane were super stiff, but you could see them at least. Right. right. So like, that's the difference, which we'll get to that. But point being, I agree with everything you said, but I'm just taking mine even more surface level to say it was just, I don't know if I know he didn't have a huge budget for Batman Begins, So I don't know, but whatever money he did get, they did not use it wisely. I'm assuming they spent it all on casting. So yeah. And, and, and getting that deep with it is just me trying to like, I don't know, trying to like explain the feeling of what you feel when you watch these scenes. And the feeling is, if you're not going that deep in it, the feeling is, what is happening? And the answer is that a lot of times you don't know when you're watching uh, these movies. And it, it cuts over into the dialogue scene. I remember there's one scene where uh, uh, Rachel's uh, boss uh, that gets killed is like talking to her. And then it cuts to like Bruce Wayne watching them. It's like, wait, how is he watching them? Aren't they inside of a building? And then it turns out, no, they're not in some building. They're in some like indoor outdoor space that is like that looks like a tunnel or an alley or something. But it, it looks like they're also in a building. It's completely bizarre. And the no, I know what you're talking about, because he's dressed like the homeless guy when he's looking at them. Right. When he right. when he's. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, because when you watch that, it almost seems like they're actually in like City Hall. Right. Yeah, it yeah, seems like yeah, hundred percent inside City Hall, and like when you're watching it, you you don't you don't go, wow, Christopher Nolan has no sense of space and time with his editing. You don't think that, but when you're watching it, you go, wait, what is going on? And I'm sorry, but that's not in a movie like this. You shouldn't be thinking that. You shouldn't be thinking, wait, what's going on? Where are they? How is he watching them? Those are things that shouldn't enter your head. Those things should be seamless in in a, in a movie like this. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't fucking know. And the, the reason why I wanted to, to get into it a little bit on Batman Begins is because it does get better, and he does kind of lose this tendency uh, throughout the rest of, the, of his career. But, dude, early on, it was a big fucking problem. I remember I heard one phrase that said, what John Ford can do in three shots, Christopher Nolan can do in 12. <laughs> Which, <laughs> like, I love that phrase, man, because it's true. It's just it's, – it's such a good marker. But it gets better from here on out, I think. Um Okay. Well, speaking of getting better, um, in an ironic way, because I don't think so for this movie, X movie at all, uh, The Prestige. I feel like 
for every person who thinks Insomnia is like his worst movie, there's someone who thinks The Prestige is like upper echelon Chris Nolan. And I disagree. Uh-oh. Um, so uh, I'm assuming you disagree with my disagreement. So let's get into it. All right, let's hear it. Let's tell me on why the prestige sucks. Oh no, I don't think it sucks. I just think that it's unfair. Like I, it ticks me off when I see like a, a typical Nolan list and Insomnia's last, and the Prestige is like in the top five. Because to me, that's absurd. The Prestige is about two competing magicians, and it's got a great cast. It's well acted. I like the 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 overall theme of it. Like it's a really interesting story. But dude, it just doesn't, it doesn't do much. Like, and, and I, I will say, I should have prefaced it with this. Some moron told me the twist before I watched the movie. Uh, so that does hurt. I was in a very similar boat with The Sixth Sense where somebody told me the twist. So then when I watched it, I was like, yeah, that would have been great if I didn't know. So with The Prestige, obviously that does hamper it a bit. But I'm sorry, dude. This was before Hugh Jackman could like actually start to act a little bit. So he wasn't that great. I mean, Bell's always good. Kane's good. But dude, the movie, there's just something about it. It just falls flat. I rewatched it. It was good. But I don't know, man. I, I This might be... It might be my least favorite Nolan movie, if I'm being honest. Wow. Um... Well, yeah, and I that's not disagree. to say that's not to insult the movie a lot. Obviously, we know his filmography. We're going over it. So it's not like this movie is awful. I'm just saying I think it might be my least favorite. I, you know, I really like this movie. I, I liked it a lot on rewatch. I had not seen it in. I mean, I, it probably had been 10 years since I've seen it. I mean, probably more, honestly. I bet I hadn't seen it since it came out. I, I gave it a four, man. I really like this movie. I was thinking when you said top five, I was like, no, this would probably be number six for me. But. But or I don't know, maybe it'd be no, it'd probably be number six for me. But regardless, I really like this movie, man. I, I think it I, I think it's really fun and entertaining, and I think it's a good story. But I also think there's a lot of thematic subtext in this movie. I feel like it's about like if you substitute magician for filmmaking, which I think is a is a comparison that Christopher Nolan would definitely make. Uh I think it, it opens up a lot of interesting thematic stuff. I think he, I think this is a movie about filmmaking and about deception and about rivalry and and because I love at the end, you know, the which not spoiling anything, but Christian Bale um, is talking to Hugh Jackman and kind of just you did all this for what? And Hugh Jackman is just like, what do you mean for what? Like. For, for like for like the sake of it for like glory you know what I mean and like it's kind of like implicit in the question of filmmaking like you did all this for what you spent all this money and built all these sets and flew these people halfway around the country and you know blah 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 you you did all this for what and it's like what do you mean for what for movies you know and that is I don't know I, I really like the procedure I think it's entertaining on a on a basic level but I also think it's um it's uh, it's kind of profound in a way, in in the way that it is kind of about showmanship and illusion and filmmaking and you know professional rivalry and that kind of thing. And well, I'll say the, I'll say the I'll say the, the one thing, but I don't know. Do you, did any of that stuff hit home for you, or you just you just 
didn't think that it was there because I mean I could be I can be convinced that this stuff is not there in that movie and it's just me kind of reading that into it you know no I think it's there I but I think that doesn't that like that's the problem that didn't appeal to me right like the fact that it's like oh you did all this and I won't reveal the spoiler but it's pretty pretty awful what what each person did um, right right right. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that didn't hit home because it's like, why? Like, why did you like? So I guess that whole conversation that you're referring to, it just kind of fell flat right. for me. I, I will say, though, I didn't mention this before, but it did have the late, great David Bowie as uh, Nikola Tesla, which was awesome. Right. So uh, but yeah, dude, like so. So when I when I talk about the movie the way I did, like, yeah, I want to, like, I'm not saying this is a bad movie. I'm just saying when, when I compare it to the rest of his filmography, I just feel like it kind of gets held a little higher than it should because I can see all the stuff you said about it. Like, I, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with any of that. I think that's, that could very well be what they were going for. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would give this movie a three. So, I mean, I'm not going to like give it anything lower than that, but Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, man. There's something about this movie that I really like. I, I like all the magician shit. And, it, and I'll say this last thing about it before we move on. I think this is the movie, right? We are, how many movies are we into his career? One, two, three, f- wait, one, two, three, four, five. This is his fifth movie, right? So I think this is the movie where we start to see what Christopher Nolan is as a director, Okay. Because and I, I want to outline this for the for the rest of the um, for the rest of the discussion and see kind of what you think about it. I, I like I don't think Christopher Nolan is a particularly emotional director. I don't think he is really that good at directing emotions, and so that would lead people to think that okay, well if he's not an emotional director, he's a cerebral director, right? But I don't think he's a cerebral director. I don't think he's particularly smart. I don't think he's particularly philosophical. I don't think he's particular. You know, he's not Tarkovsky, right? He's not Kubrick. And then there's, okay, well, he's an action movie director. And it's like, well, he's not particularly good at directing action, to be honest. Like, he, he, like he's, not, he's not particularly good at it. So what is he? And I think this is where we start to see him come into his own, into what he actually is. What he actually is, he is a pop storyteller. Like he is a big popcorn movie, Steven Spielberg type. Now, when I say Spielberg, I mean Spielberg is a much better with the camera than him, obviously. So he has a much better visual sense than Christopher Nolan does. But it's that Spielberg, George Lucas, you know, Hitchcock without the the subtext and all that shit. You know, big pop storytellers who are good at telling big, entertaining for all audiences stories. And that sounds like faint praise. And I don't think it is. I think it's really one of the hardest things to do as a filmmaker is to make big, ambitious blockbusters that a lot of people see. I mean, my mom has seen all the movies on the rest of this list. Like, you know, it's it's these are big, popular movies that everyone can go see. And I think that is his greatest skill. And I think the prestige is the beginning of that. This is big, broad, fun entertainment. It's twisty. It's It has some thematic depth if you're looking for it. But if you're not, it's just an entertaining movie. And I think that continues in The Dark Knight, Inception, and keeps on going throughout his career. 
And I think that's that's his home plate. That's what he's good at. After this movie, it's like, oh, yeah, I never want to see him go back to doing anything small again. I want to see him be a big popcorn movie maker. That is his destiny. And that's this is the first this is the first sign of that, I think. I don't know. What do you think about what do you think about my grand Nolan? Theory? Well, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree because I do think he's very smart. I think he's a very smart writer and I think he has very smart ideas, but no disrespect to him at all when I say this, but I think he thinks he's smarter than he is at times. Uh, Okay. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's what hampers him a bit, but I do agree with you. He doesn't. And I think actually in the next movie, uh, the, the main idea of what I think about him shooting action doesn't arrive until the movie after next, but I don't think he's very good at shooting action. Actually, I think he's very poor at shooting action most times. Right. But I think that he, his, his um, set savviness and his ideas really pull him out. And we'll get to that with, with, uh, with another movie. But um, for now, let's revisit that a little bit when we get to that. So let's jump to the dark Knight, which is a movie that we probably won't spend much time on because everyone and everybody has said so many things about this movie over the last 12 years. Right, right. I mean, yeah, it's The Dark Knight. It's got, you know, Heath Ledger is the Joker, Two-Face, Eckhart. I mean, it's it's the, I don't know, it's a great movie. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think of The Dark Knight? Did you revisit it, or did you know it by heart enough to not revisit it? Like, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I knew it enough by heart to not revisit it, but I did anyways just because I wanted to watch it. I, honestly, I was ready to give it a four because I just was like, I was just like, yeah, you know, this is great. This is, you know, this is really good Christopher Nolan shit, you know, ready to give it a four. And then when I was watching it, I was like, I can't give it anything but a five. Like it's, it's, it's his first masterpiece and it, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's his best movie or I don't know, but it's, it's a masterpiece. I do know that it's, uh, there is some Nolan corny Nolan shit in here. There are some incomprehensible fight scenes, but he's getting better. He's getting better. He starts getting better here. Um, I think he starts getting better in the prestige with, with regarding like editing and space and time and all that, but he's definitely getting better here. And, um, it's got some of the corny Nolan shit, the one-liners and stuff, but the movie succeeds in spite of that is, you know, the thing that struck me this time watching it. And I mean, there's a million things to like about this movie. We shouldn't even talk about Heath Ledger. I feel like, because really what is there to say? He just gives such a magnetic, incredible performance. But the thing that struck me is just this feeling of a city under siege. Like when, when fucking com, uh, Commissioner Gordon says, we're going to need the National Guard. You feel that when you're watching it. It feels like you're in a city under siege by a madman. And that is not an easy feeling to evoke, right? It, when you're watching the Avengers, you know, take a planet and throw it into Thanos' head or whatever, or even when you're watching Dark Knight Rises and the whole Bane thing happens, you don't feel terror. But in the Dark Knight, when the Joker is at his apex, which I would say is like probably 30 minutes before the end of the movie, or maybe 40 minutes before the end of the movie, God, it really, man, it really feels terrifying. If you've ever lived in a city, you can imagine what it would feel like to live in a city under, you know, uh, under that kind of yoke of chaos and terror. And it, it's, 
Whew. It's powerful, man. It's powerful. Him evoking that feeling and and at the end of the day, this movie is basically Heat plus Batman, which I mean, I can't like. I'll take all of it. You know, Heat plus Batman. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not on board. I'm driving the train. Like that. That is. It's just incredible. It's uh, it's an absolute masterpiece. It's a crime epic. It's also a comic book epic. Also, this is a this is a popcorn movie. This is fun, man. This movie is fun to watch, and the end gives you goosebumps. This is the kind of mass entertainment that he is best at, that Christopher Nolan is good at. He doesn't need to return to anything smaller. This is the kind of thing that he is best at, making these big, giant movies that everyone can watch and everybody goes, looks at them, looks at each other at the end of the movie and goes, holy shit, that was something. You know, I, I, I love this movie. I don't, what can you say about it, you know? Well, I mean, I, I agree. I give it a five. I think it 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 may or may not be his best movie. I don't really know, but... I will say that the the actual the only movie I can think of off the top of my head in terms of like comic book movies that does such a good job of making you feel the weight of something so minor is Logan. And I know we disagree on that, but because I know I don't think you liked it nearly as much as me, but it's a very small stakes film. You have all these other Marvel movies constantly saving the earth or saving whatever whatever and no offense to him but the stakes are always so big you can never put a face on what's at stake yes and with the dark knight and with logan like movies like that you can so when you're right when when there's actually like the joker his performance was so great he didn't care about money he didn't care about power he didn't care about taking over the city he just wanted to to wreak havoc and and psychologically torment people. And I think when you have a character like that and you have people constantly reacting to what that character is doing, it it just makes for a phenomenal movie. Like mm-hmm. it, there's constantly a reaction. That is all it is is you're watching people react the entire film. Right. So there's a couple of things that hamper the movie though. I gave it a five because it's pretty much, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's like I said, it might be his best movie. The movie does seem to like not know when to say when. Yeah. Because I think his need to try to squeeze in one more character was kind of a flaw in the film. Mm. But I think that the characters and the story were so mesmerizing that we overlooked some writing issues and some story issues. Because when you're Christopher Nolan, and you're so well known and you have the filmography he has, you cannot rest on your laurels of, oh, this is a Batman movie. Don't ask me anything about it. Right. So I think the movie suffers a bit from those two things, but neither one of those things like crippled enough to say, oh, this is a four. It's like, no, there is there are very few other comic book movies that you can just throw on really movies in general that you can just throw on and be like, I love every second of this movie. Like even the extra shit that I just said didn't belong. I don't care. Cause I mm-hmm. loved it. Doesn't matter. Um, but I'm just saying approaching it from, from a practical standpoint. Yeah. It was kind of, it felt kind of tacked on the, you know, the two face stuff. I, I really was ready to, to kind of pick apart when I was watching it because I was just anticipating like there's no way this is going to fit in and it, it doesn't fit in perfectly but what fits in is and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it when 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 Gordon and uh and Batman and Harvey Dent are on there and he 
he says we try to be like what does he say he's like try to be good men in an inhuman time or something like that and it's so powerful. yeah yeah that's the line and it's like it's like yeah like two-faced the whole thing doesn't quite fit in here but i mean when the payoff is this i mean who really cares you know like when when, he, when gordon is saying that at the end and I mean, Harvey Dent assaulting a gun to his child's head, and he's saying, you know, we tried, we tried, and we failed. I mean, dude, you feel that, man. Like, this is is blockbuster filmmaking at its peak. Like, I really believe that. This is Jaws. This is uh, Star Wars. This is is a movie that everyone went and saw. People forget. Everyone went and saw this movie. This was like the second highest grossing movie of all time. Uh, when it was released next to Titanic. And of course it got eclipsed with, you know, a bunch of other things and the, the Marvel movies would come, you know, swing it out of, uh, out of contention. But I mean, it's just for this movie to be just as like emotionally and, you know, involved as something like heat or something, but there's a key difference. And the key difference is everyone can watch this. Everyone can watch this. You're okay with taking your kid to the dark night. I know there's some dark stuff in here, but it's still a big, broad popcorn movie. You know, moms went and saw this and uh, and enjoyed it, you know? And I don't know, man. I, I what, what can you say? I can't say enough good things about this movie. And the last thing yeah, I no, is, yeah, I, I agree. I just want to say one last thing. The end sequence, I think, is really the worst part about the movie. The, the where the jokers on the building with the three dogs and stuff you know yeah um i think that's the worst part about the movie but i also caught myself thinking like how do you end a movie like this you know like because that's not that's not really the end of the movie it's the end of the joker storyline and then they they the other three main characters go on to you know to have that 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 face off but like how do you end the joker storyline like you know, it's like that David Thompson quote. How do you make a movie poster about Magnolia? How do you end a movie? How do you end the Joker storyline? You, you know, I understand the challenge. You know, it's how could it have been better? How could you have had a better ending? I don't think there is a, a better or a good ending for some for a character like the Joker. You know, it's uh, God, I, I fucking love this movie, man. I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, I, I, it's just one of those films that I feel like it's, it's just a universal thing. Like, even if someone's like, ants somewhat overrated, it's like, yeah, but you still like it. Yeah. Like, I, so. I know you enjoyed it. I know, I know you got goosebumps at the end when, with the, uh, with the commissioner Gordon quote, like it, come on, man, you know? Well, you know what they say? You either live long enough to see yourself become the villain or you die a hero. You either you either die a good filmmaker or you live long enough to see yourself become a hack. You know, it's true. I don't even know if I got the quote right. I can't remember it. <laughs> um, so, so let's go to uh, let's go to Inception, which I feel is it's just Inception. It's a it's a weird movie because you know I think his idea was was better than the film, like. I love the film. I think it's I think it's just a really ambitious, big, bold blockbuster. I mean, it's like Michael Mann or not Michael Mann, it's like Michael Bay, but more like legible. Right. Like 
his set pieces and all that, he, the 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 cast, he just put together a powerhouse film, but the idea was better than the execution, which happens sometimes when you're that when you're that bold and that ambitious, but also outside of the hallway scene and a couple of other fun scenes here and there, he cannot shoot action. That snow scene is a mess. Like you don't yeah. know what's going on half the time, but the movie, the movie is so charming. Like it's yeah. so much fun. And DiCaprio is great. And Hardy is great. And Ellen page and everybody like, despite my issues with the movie, like, and the fact that I do think it's somewhat overrated. I mean, I can't give it a five, but it's a four and a half. I mean, yeah, it's a four for me, dude. It's, I like Inception, man. It, it's you're right. It has those flaws, man. That end, you know, that end is absolutely incomprehensible. And another thing that annoys me about it is the exposition, you know, the expository dialogue. Oh, like, the constant exposition. Ooh, yeah, buddy. Like, it's OK at first because it's like, OK, well, we have to explain how this world works. But like. The way that it just keeps on going and he keeps inventing crazy shit to say is just like really annoying. But dude, this movie's fun. It's a it's charming. You're right. Like it's a popcorn movie. You're gonna have fun when you watch this movie. And like I feel like around this time, people didn't know what to make of the Dark Knight. You know, people were calling it like a you know Heat and Michael Mann, and they they think Christopher Nolan is a genius and blah blah blah. And so, like, there was a lot of comparisons to, like, Stanley Kubrick and stuff and, like, and like oh, he's a serious filmmaker. And it's like, no, he's not. We know now he's not a serious filmmaker. This is not some serious, like, meditation on time and or on dreams and stuff. And if he thinks it is, great. But it's not. It's a popcorn movie, man. It's fun. Like, he's not Stanley Kubrick. Why would you want him to be Stanley Kubrick? We already have a Stanley Kubrick. Like... Yeah, we we don't need we don't need Inception to try to be 2001. Like exactly. We need Inception to be what Inception is. But the yeah, you're right about the exposition issue. The movie's 2 hours and 25 minutes or something and it's like, you know, uh an hour and 30 minutes of that is exposition. <laughs> so <laughs> and 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 when you're not when you're not giving us these explanations for what's going on, you're just making up new ones to match what just happened in the story to not make it all fall apart. That's so, that's a hundred percent. That's like a cool thing will happen, and Ellen Page will be like, "But wait, I thought," and she will literally say what the plot hole is, and then Joseph Gordon-Levitt will just paper over the plot hole and be like, "Well, yeah, but that's in case this happens." And it's like, "Oh, it's well, essentially okay, like." It's like Nolan and his brother went ahead and wrote in what they would say to critics who asked these questions. <laughs> they were just like, but wait, isn't it like, nah, it's because of this. <laughs> I just invented a so, fake thing that explains it. Uh, but overall, man, yeah, dude, this is a, once again, it's a crowd pleaser. I mean, there is nothing wrong with just saying Nolan knows how to make these crowd pleasing popcorn movies that are just fun. Like they, they stay in the PG 13 realm typically, and they're entertaining with great characters and great acting. And they're just fun. Like there's just, there's nothing wrong with that. I think, and especially with the last movie that we're going to talk about, I think, I think it's so clear that like with the departure that I think Dunkirk represents, like 
Like, this tells you what he's been doing all along. He hasn't been making serious movies. Like, he he's not Tarkovsky. He's Cecil B. DeMille. And that's that's fine. That's great. You know, Cecil B. DeMille was great for, like, big, like, spectacles in the 20s and stuff. Like, the this is this is a feature and not a bug. We're lucky to have a director like Christopher Nolan, who seems to have the keys to the castle in these Hollywood studios and makes these big budget blockbuster action blockbusters with uh, you know unlimited budgets and stuff. We're lucky to have someone like that who who can who can do that. That that rules, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, and yeah, we'll get into that. I think Dunkirk is definitely the most interesting one of the bunch. Um, of his newer ones, but, uh, let's get to the dark Knight rises. And, um, and I mean, once again, it's another Batman movie where it's like, I don't know how much we can say that hasn't been said, but I mean, I was of the opinion up until two weeks ago that the dark Knight rises was the weakest of the three. And upon revisiting everything, uh, I would say the dark Knight rises in terms of visuals and character and story, although incoherent at times is head and shoulders above and ahead of, uh, of Batman begins. Like I would say, uh, easily it's, it's this, the second best, obviously behind dark Knight, which may not sound like a lot, but in my head it was a lot because I really held dark Knight rises to pretty low standards before. I'm going to be honest, dude. It was kind of the opposite with me. I always kind of stuck up for, for the dark Knight rises. Like, and I, I legit don't think I've seen it since it came out in theaters. But I'd always kind of stuck up for it because I was like, nah, it's pretty good. I, I did see it a couple times in theaters. Um, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like, don't, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as people say it is. But rewatching it this time, I got to be honest with you, man. I think this is pretty bad. Hey, you know, especially going off of our theory of like, what is Christopher Nolan? He is a popcorn director. And I, I think this movie fails in that regard. I think... I, it doesn't seem like he wanted to make this, and it seems like he didn't know where to go after The Dark Knight, which is completely understandable. Where do you go after you make The Dark Knight? I, like, where do you take the story? What do you even? Where do you even start to take the story after that? And I gave this movie a two, man. I really don't like it. It, it just if if entertaining and popcorn and all that is that is if that's what we're saying, Christopher Nolan is. I think he just completely fails here because I don't, not completely. There are, there are some things to like about this movie and and there's some things I really do like Christian Bale is obviously great. He's a great Bruce Wayne as usual. I love the images of the, the first half particularly, I think is good with Bruce Wayne as this like broken down old, like doomed Gothic, you know, living in his Gothic mansion and, and, you know, Gordon, I think they completely lose the way with his character Joseph Gordon-Levitt, God, I really don't like him in this movie. I think Anne Hathaway is a great Catwoman. Now, Michelle, she's not obviously as iconic as like Michelle Pfeiffer, but I think she does a really great job and kind of is out of her wheelhouse for a role like this. But she, I think she does a really great job of it. Michael Caine has a really moving, a couple, a really moving scene that I really like. I don't know, man. I just, I just don't, I, I just don't care for it. I don't know, man. Well, let me say, um, this is going to be very painful for you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but no, Anne hold, Hathaway. Hold on, hold on. You're you're making that you're making <laughs> you're making that scene sound more coherent than it was. What it actually is is him saying, This is gonna be very painful and he goes, You're a big guy. 
And then he goes, for you. So, like, literally what we have is him saying, you're a big guy. Yes, for you. What? No, 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 no. You're completely ruining that scene. No, I no, that is ridiculous. That is not how the scene goes very smooth, and it makes sense. Listen, no, Anne does, Hathaway's... Man. Yes, it does. Anne Hathaway's terrible. She's never done anything good in her entire wretched career. And Dude, she's okay. awful. She's awful in this movie. She should have never been cast. Catwoman... They should have found somebody else or just not even put it in the movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, terrible, doesn't belong in the movie. Once you remove those two things, I love the movie. I think it's great. I think Tom Hardy as Bane is great. Bane's one of my favorite characters from the cartoon and from the comic books. I think that there's obviously some nonsense in this movie. He tries to really shoehorn a lot from like, uh, a, a multiple comic storylines that obviously I won't bore you or the listeners with the nerdiness of, but he really does. He pulls all the wrong pieces to a certain extent, but I would, I would no problem give this movie three and a half to four stars. I think that uh, outside of some choppy editing and some really stupid decision-making with um the fact that as long as you don't show blood, you can take over a city and uh, butcher right. people with rifles uh, but there's no blood, so we're okay. And uh, <laughs> drive a nuclear bomb around a city. But I mean, also having well, what's her face in it, who was really good, uh, the French lady. I always forget her name. Um, see, I don't like her uh, in Cotillard. See, I like her. I think she was good in the movie, but then they just dismissed that entire storyline by what they did at the end. Like there were some, yeah. there were some issues with it, but you could tell, man. The plan was to have the Joker in this movie, and obviously, when the tragedy tragedy happened that involved Heath Ledger, they had to like kind of go back to the drawing board. And then at that point, it's almost like because I'll piggyback on what you said, it's almost like after that happened, Nolan was like, "I don't want to make this anymore." Yes, like yep. it's no longer fun to me. But um, I and love Bane mainly. I love Bane as 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 I love Hardy's Bane. That's the main thing I loved about the movie. Well, and knowing that he was working on pre-production for Interstellar when he was finishing this movie up, it's like you can tell what he was really interested in at the time. You know, like it, it just I don't know, man, I can't I can't with this movie. I, it, it's so incomprehensible, man. It, it's so like it reminds me of like Spider-Man 3, you know, or like some of these like more labyrinthine Marvel movies where you're just like, what is going on? Like I and then like the scenes that are supposed to be tense that aren't where it's like you know he's like like jim gordon is like hiding in the back of that thing for like what seems like three hours he's hiding in the back of that truck and then um the guy like with the school joseph gordon levitt with the school children and uh, i just i don't know man It, it just and anne hathaway's character i think is really poorly written like Oh, she wants the magic erase or whatever, which I, I don't even know what that like what that would even like do theoretically. But like, I don't know, man. I think this movie is dog shit, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think Nolan's one job is to entertain. And I, I just think this movie didn't really do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I see that. But I, like I said, I enjoyed I enjoyed him as Bane and uh, and there are some story issues, but overall, I'm still I still like it more than Batman Begins now, which is strange. So you, so yeah, we already gave our scores for that. We got two movies to cover. One of them is Interstellar, which you just mentioned. 
Mm-hmm. Interstellar might be the most ambitious movie he's ever made. It yeah. might be. It is nothing short of just on on like um, an epic scale. Like this is like times 10. Yeah. Some of the shots in this, obviously the score in this, shameless plug, you should go listen to our scores episode if you have not, our top 10 favorite scores. I believe this was on your list. Everything about this, man. I mean, Anne Hathaway was obviously terrible, but I feel like that goes without saying at this point. Um, McConaughey, uh, Jessica, man, she's great. What's her last name? Um, Chastain. Chastain. She's great. Great cast outside of Hathaway. Overall, like, yeah, man, this movie was something else. I remember I got to go see this on a real IMAX screen, and it was just like soaking in the visuals. It was. It felt like magic. It was just so beautiful. You know, I, I, I remember liking Interstellar and I've been kind of like, that's pretty good. You know, like that's kind of been my attitude towards Interstellar for since it came out really like, no, it's good. It's good. It's not, I I like Inception better and I like the Dark Knight better, whatever. But I watched this movie last night, so maybe it's a little, a little too close to home, but dude, I, I loved it, man. I I mean, when you talk about you know when we talk about him being a big popcorn director i mean this movie that's what this movie is man it's space opera at its at its highest big budget most ambitious epic i mean that word gets overused so much this is an epic movie and the music i mean that organ for Hans Zimmer, man, that, that that shit had me going, man. I, I finished this movie. I was ready to run through a wall, dude. Like, it, it, it's just, man, it's so good. It's so, it's such just a fun space adventure. And like, I don't know, man, the robot and the, the, the story is airtight, man, which is something he normally has a problem with, with like navigating some of those storylines and stuff. But I feel like in Interstellar, it's, airtight rock solid like it reminds me of um i don't know this is gonna be a weird pull but it reminds me of like a pulpy like science fiction novel that you would have at like a you know the the yellowing cover and something from like the 70s or something that you get at like a used bookstore or something that you just kind of devour in like a single night or something you know it reminded me of something like that like a cheap dime store paperback that's just like blown up to infinity on the big screen and it's it's i don't think it's particularly deep and that's that that's why i love it man i i don't know if this is controversial interstellar's getting five for me dude i i love loved loved this movie i don't think that's controversial at all i would give it a four and a half but i mean obviously if i was pressured to like kind of make a call on which one i would probably go with five but Dude, I still say the third act, the end where like, I, I still think he kind of loses the story a bit. Right. So I wouldn't say it's airtight, but I, I agree with most of that. Most importantly, though, it's very hard to be surprised in the movie theater anymore. But when Matt Damon shows up, like <laughs> I remember being in the theater and I'm like, what just happened? Like yeah, I had yeah. no idea he was in this movie. Right. And he was great in the movie. So yeah, dude, I, I don't think that's I don't I don't think that's uh that's controversial. I would I would almost go with a five, but I've got to give it a four and a half. But no, this is a great movie. It it was just 
Yeah, man, I agree the word epic gets overused, but I mean, in this particular case, it, it deserves it 100%. It is just a stellar film, inner also, stellar film. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I'm not going to lie to you. That was good. I kind of redeemed myself from, from some of those other terrible things. <laughs> you know, I, I'll say this, dude. I was ready. I was ready to put up the... Uh, I was ready to put up the kind of the walls whenever all that shit happens at the end with the fourth dimension and love and I still can't even really explain it, but like I was ready to put up the walls and be like, hmm, yes, it's falling apart, which it is technically like, don't get me wrong. It is a hundred percent, but like, it's one of those things where you're so like, at least I was, I was so caught up at that point that I did not care. You know what I mean? Like I was so caught up and invested and like having fun. I mean, dude, this is probably this, like, I'm not kidding. This is the most fun I've had watching a movie in a, in a while through quarantine. Maybe the funnest I've had through quarantine, like was rewatching interstellar for the first time in a really long time and enjoying it as much as I did, man. And so like by the end, I know it doesn't make sense, but I, I, I was just so bought in at that point that I just didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's so good. And I'll, I'll say one last thing about uh, Interstellar before we move on. Um, I, I, I got really emotional towards this end, man. And it really doesn't have anything to do with the movie. You know, the movie came out in 2014. And, you know, the plot of the movie is obviously like humans ruin the planet. And we are finding another planet to live on. And at the time, it was like, yeah, yeah, global warming. Humans are ruining the planet. You know, okay. But, dude, fast forward six years, man. And, you know, we got Trump as president. We got a million other bad things going on. Climate change is way worse than we thought it was even six years ago. And we got, now we got a global pandemic. And, dude, this movie hits different in 2020, man. It just does. At least for me, it did. You know, the people wearing the masks and shit. I mean, that, you know, to, to keep their lungs clear of the dust and the the kind of just apocalyptic dystopian vibe is, is, is really powerful. And honestly, dude, and spoilers skip ahead 30 seconds or a minute or whatever. But at the end, when he makes it to the space station and th he's going through and sees the, uh, the museum that's dedicated to look like his old house, you know? And, uh, and they're walking yeah, in. That's when I felt it kind of got a little 2001, which isn't a bad thing, but it, you could feel like some of the 2001 vibes a bit. Right, right. It, 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 yeah, it felt really powerful. But the, specifically the like when he's walking in and it's like it's a museum and the footage from the people talking about the Dust Bowl is playing on the little TV when you go into the house, you know, like. Yeah. That hit really hard for me, man. I mean, it hit hard, dude. I, like, I, I, I had a really emotional reaction to it because it was this, it was this fantasy of, you know, and what is what is cinema other than a dream machine, a fantasy machine, you know, where you can see your fantasies, um, you know, you can fall in love with Greta Garbo or whatever, you know, on the screen, and it's this big fantasy of, yeah, all this bad stuff that's happening right now. It's gonna be an, it's gonna be on a TV screen in a history museum one day, and hu the human race will be fine. 
we will be fine. Things will end up fine. All the all the all the humanity and all the cool stuff and all the symphonies and the statues and the pyramids and all the, all this human civilization it actually all turned out okay. Right? We we everything ended up fine. And the bad stuff that feels so oppressive and so uh awful right now it's just going to be a footnote in a history book the species will be fine and that is a fantasy that is so powerful and so uh emotional that it just it did it hit me like a ton of bricks man like it, I, I really just kind of broke down after it and it was just like i it's like the opposite of something like twin peaks or some really dark movie or something where it's just like yeah what if what if things are going to be okay now in real life do i think they're going to be okay no of course i don't i have a brain but when you're watching a movie man and you're you're off in hollywood dreamland you know you're off in in movie land there's not a more powerful fantasy at this moment in the year 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic there's not a more powerful fantasy than that than imagining that maybe someday everything will be okay and the humanity will be past all of the bad things. And I don't know, man, it hit home for me. It's, it's, I don't know, maybe that's getting a little too deep or a little too personal with like rating it or, or saying what it is, but it hits different in 2020, you know? Yeah. Um, Hey Jacob, why so serious? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. After you gave that Fuck nice you. thoughtful. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Okay. So to 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 go on with your with your um your nice thoughtful thing there. Um yeah, I didn't get that at all because you're I, I don't I it was hard for me to even like I I love the ending and I like in terms of once you get past the fact that yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I didn't really draw a lot of like comparison to what's going on in real life simply because it's like I would prefer just keep them separate so I can keep thinking that, oh yeah, this, this will be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, just like sitting in a padded room, rocking back and forth. It'll all be great. Right. And um, that, well, that's, that's kind of what I'm describing in a way, but like, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Like it's it, it, the more you keep them separate, but it it, it is like, it, it's like the movie in and of itself is a padded room, you know, like it is that padded room where you can go, wow, everything really is going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. But just for that split second, when you're in the when you're off in movie dreamland, it does feel like it's going to be okay, you know. Which I don't know, man. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe it's a great thing. I don't fucking know. Yeah, um, I don't know either. But that's the joy of movies, you know. Like you said, they're a dream machine. So let's just dream that dream and never acknowledge the horrificness going on in the world. <laughs> Speaking so, of horrificness, let's wrap this puppy up. Yeah, uh, Dunkirk. This, um, in my opinion, this would almost be considered experimental if you look at his his last. I mean, honestly, since since honestly, Batman Begins. I mean, this mm. is this is I would consider this for him an experimental film. It's short by his standards. It's an hour and forty six minutes, but honestly. If you don't include credits, I think this movie really is about an hour and 32 minutes, give or take. Um, yeah. Because it is a pulse pounding, light, edge of your seat, anxiety machine. 
so well shot. I think it might be his most well shot film. Uh, it was it was just one of those movies. It's really hard to say like what it is because it's so different. It is just so different from what he's used to doing. Um, right. I loved it. I think it's a five star masterpiece. I think if you made the argument this was his best movie, I don't know if I would fight with you on it. Right. So what do you think about I, it? I, I agree with that. I, I, I think it is. It's hard to talk about in a discussion like this other than to say that I love it. Um, it's hard to talk about in a discussion like this because we don't know where he's going after this. It looks like with Tenet, he's going to be going back to popcorn blockbuster mode. It looks like he's going back to Inception, Interstellar, Dark Knight, you know, kind of kind of era. But this this feels like an anomaly. And I wonder if he'll I wonder if he'll get back to doing things like this or if this will just be a one off for him, because I think the things that make it different. One of the things is that this is not a particular. It is. It's experimental. It's not particularly popcorny. And it's ironic because this is the stuff that this could be a popcorn movie. It could have been a fun blockbuster because it's like, oh, well, we're escaping the Nazis like this is, you know, it could have been a, a big war movie like that, but it's not. It's like this really tense like and the three-part structure and the way that it that it plays with time and honestly dude his visual sensibility in this movie shocks me at how incredible it is because it's not like i I think the story is he's okay he's getting more competent more competent more competent as time goes on but this is a whole new thing dude his visual sensibility in this movie is incredible like it's the editing goes from being bad at the beginning of his career in it, of his career to getting better and better and better to being flawless in something like this. And it's a completely different visual sense that like, like when I talked about him not being cognizant of space and time, this movie is only cognizant of space and time. And it's, it's incredible. Like it, it the visual sensibility and style, the way he, edits these sequences together and the way that the sense of space and, and, and being in these like cramped conditions. And I I don't know, man, it's shocking. He made a movie this good and this visually dynamic, Um, you know, it's, and I don't know if this is a sign to come, you know, I I don't know if this is, he's going to make more movies like this or if he just, this is just a one-off, but it's it's incredible. I think it's a masterpiece too, but I it's a masterpiece that I I didn't think he was capable of making a movie like this, to be honest with you. And maybe he's not capable of making another movie like this. But it's I don't know, man. It, it's 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 a masterpiece and I think one of the reasons it's so incredible is because it was so unexpected. I just thought he was gonna keep doing movies like Interstellar and Inception and Tenet and so on and so forth. And that's fine. I, I like those movies, but Dunkirk really, really stuck out as like, Oh my God, he, he didn't, he made there will be blood. He didn't do Spielberg. He did Paul Thomas Anderson, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I love Dunkirk. Yeah. I, um, I think that he kind of, I don't know if, if he intended to make Dunkirk the way he did, but, it doesn't matter because that's what it that's what it turned out being in terms in terms of comparing it to the rest of his filmography. So I agree right. with you a hundred percent in terms of it seems like he kind of hit all cylinders for this movie. I don't like we know Tenant's gonna be ambitious. Will it be right. turn out to be an inception sequel? 
I don't think so because he's not that. He's not like that. He is not what you would call like a simple guy when it comes to that type. So I don't think he's going to make an Inception sequel. I think it's going to be ambitious. I think it's going to be big. I think the sets are going to be great. I think it's going to be grand. Is he going to revert back to this kind of sloppy editing and like weird storytelling? Who knows? But at the end of the day, when you look at Dunkirk, at this point in his career, I'm going to say it's an anomaly, but I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in a stylistic way. So stylistically speaking, I think it's his biggest anomaly. We'll see what he does after Tenet if he wants to do another kind of contained film like that. But I mean, it was almost anti-Nolan to a degree with what he did in Dunkirk. So I I still think it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and I'll just say, like, I still think uh, the same thing I said after examining his entire filmography now and and kind of giving a summation of it. He's a bold director. He's an ambitious director. He may not always get it right, but he always, in my opinion, does it good. He does it well above average. I think he's one of the better directors working today. But more importantly, I think he is a director that when he releases a movie, it's an event. And I feel like sometimes we miss that in theaters now because mm-hmm. it's being so taken over with either Oscar bait stuff or Marvel stuff. Like, but when Nolan releases a movie, it's a big deal. It happens every two or three years. It's not quite on the same level as like a Tarantino, but he's still a super well-known, well-loved director who it is an event. And I appreciate that. And that's the, probably the main reason I like Nolan in general is like, he's still one of those guys where it's like, I don't know what you're going to give me, but I'm probably going to really enjoy it. Right. And I'll say this with Memento and Dunkirk kind of being the real, the real outliers here. You know, I think there's a path for him to become a different kind of director, the kind of director who makes movies like Dunkirk, um, which, you know, someone who's more of a Paul Thomas Anderson type, uh, more artsy and more self-contained and stranger and, you know, that kind of thing. But and I love Dunkirk, but I'm going to be honest, if I'm being honest with myself, I don't want Nolan to turn into a more serious filmmaker. I, I don't I don't want him to make more Dunkirks. I mean, I if if they're good, obviously I do. But like I like popcorn Nolan. I, I, I love it. Honestly, like we need somebody like that. You know, like you said, these these event movies, you know, Tarantino is comparable but i mean i think he's a better director obviously better artist but like also he's more he's more interested in being an artist you know nolan i don't know whatever his intent he seems like a serious guy i don't know but whatever his intent his movies don't really concerned with being art they're concerned with entertaining the absolute shit out of you and they do that most of the time so you know i don't know that's if there's one takeaway that i took away from this you know, 10 film odyssey of revisiting all of Christopher Nolan's work. It's that the comparisons to Kubrick and Tarkovsky and all this, you know, those guys may have served as inspiration for certain scenes in interstellar or inception or whatever, but we need to stop looking at him in those terms. Like we need to stop talking about Nolan in terms of these great kind of cerebral cinematic giants. Like, that's not what he is. He's Spielberg. He's Cecil B. DeMille. And we should count ourselves lucky that we have someone like that. Like that's, and that's it. It's okay for him to be that, you know, it's good even. 
So yeah, I don't no, know. No, I, I agree. We we always I'll just say real quick, we always have a tendency to want to compare people. We've talked about this before. We're constantly comparing and is he like him? Is he better than them or whatever, whatever. Nolan is just Nolan. And like you said, yeah, there are certain scenes from Dark Knight that might be like Heat, uh Interstellar, uh, certain Kubrick new new without 2001 or whatever. But at the end of the day, right. Nolan is just Nolan. Like does right. he does he have these big ambitious ideas that kind of get away from him? Yeah, but I'm glad because that's what we want. Because we right. we want these ambitious ideas that yeah, they may have gotten away from you, but they're still so much fun. Like who cares? Yeah, exactly. Who cares if they get it? Like no one's asking you to be perfect. Like this this shit owns, man. Like some of these movies absolutely own and like are a blast. And like that's that's all he is and that's great. You know? That's I don't know. I feel like that's that's kind of the turn that the the Nolan conversation needs to that the Nolan conversation needs to turn that way instead of you know, cuz I I mean I personally have been thinking like what is he? Is he, you know, is he, is he, is he a great director or is he merely a good one? And it's like, no, he's a great director for what he does. No one can do movies like this. This is, this is a gift that he has. And it, we don't need to like inception is not, you know, or interstellar is not 2001 space odyssey. And why would you want it to be? We already have that movie, you know, like, no, exactly. We didn't have an interstellar before. So, I mean, yeah, I think that, you know, over, I feel like doing this episode and and talking about Nolan, I didn't really discover anything new. I feel like exactly how I felt about Nolan before still reigns true. Like this just, it is what it is. So, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like this is, I feel like this is the case with all of our director um, episodes. I always, they always help me to clarify what I think about a director, you know, or both through the talking about it and through the watching of it, you know, kind of watching them all in one compressed uh, uh, thing. It always helps me to clarify, like, what is Nolan? You know, what am I expecting from him? What is, what is he as an artist? What, how do I define him and respond to his work in the future? You know? Um, so, yeah, man, what do you think? Any, any more Nolan thoughts or should we wrap this puppy up? We've been going for a while. Nah, yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, yeah, honestly, this is exactly what I wanted. When I picked Nolan, I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on him, revisit some of his films, and like just kind of dive into it a bit because he is somewhat of an anomaly in today's directing realm because we have a tendency to ordain people too quickly and this and that, and like to kind of break down his films and look at what some of his flaws are and some of what he does great. I mean... I feel like we did that. So, I mean, guys, let us know what your favorite Nolan film is. Do you like him? Do you think he's overrated? I mean, any of that. And obviously, like, it's a given a lot of people's favorite film is Dark Knight. So tell us, like, maybe your second favorite in that case and tell us why a little bit and, like, what any of his, you know, cons are to you. Like, do you agree that he kind of is a sloppy visual storyteller, editing issues, things like that? Let us know because we would love to hear. Also, are we wrong about Batman Begins? You know, I'd be interested. Like, how does I mean a lot of our listeners are younger than us. So I mean they might not have the emotional attachment that we originally had to Batman Begins. So like, you know, how do how do they feel about it? How do they associate with it uh, as opposed to the way that we associated with it by seeing it in two thousand five? You know, I'd be interested to hear that as well. Yeah, no, very true. See if we're wrong, because yeah, I, I was surprised by how much my opinion changed. Same. 
So guys, don't forget to go back to past episodes. We did an Emar Bergman episode that was huge. Talked about him in detail. Go check that out. It's episode 35. Also, our episode we released last week, top 10 film scores. Let us know some of your favorite scores. Um, I will say with Bergman, a seventh seal is getting a lot of love. We appreciate you guys reaching out, letting us know. That seems to be the the majority favorite film of his from people. Some Wild Strawberry fans in there, but primarily Seventh Seal. So um, also Silver Screen Six Pack, episode 28 was our first one. Episode 34 was our second one. Go listen to those because we're hitting you with another one later this month. And um, yeah, just follow us on Instagram, Letterboxd. Uh, you know, let us know what some of your favorite episodes are, some of your favorite movies, any of that. Anything we can do to kind of talk to you guys and hear from you guys uh, rate and review us wherever you listen. Make sure you subscribe to not miss an episode. And uh, most importantly, tell your friends about this podcast because, um, yeah, we're great. So <laughs> tell your friends about the best movie podcast on the Internet. Maybe the only I haven't checked. I don't listen to other movie podcasts, but we might be the only one. Because if you don't tell your friends about this podcast, it will be very painful for you. Oh boy! All right. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad we I'm glad we fit that in. Yeah, I, I was noticing the numbers of our of our second six pack is a lot better than the numbers for the first one. So I think a little PSA about uh, the six pack did some good. You guys, uh, you guys really seem to like our second one. But uh, check out our first one, and of course, be uh, be on the lookout for a uh, another one coming up uh, real soon. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, might even hit you guys up with some bonus episodes. Who knows? But, um, yeah, just uh, keep hitting us up, guys, with any any anything about movies, like your favorite movies from whatever director we're talking about or any of that. Our silent film episode continues to grow. So go listen to that if you haven't, if you want to learn about some silent films. So, yeah, outside of that, you got anything to add, Jacob? I'm good, man. Let's, uh, let's send it home. Okay, well, guys, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, let us know what your favorite Nolan film is and all that. And uh, thanks for stopping by the Silver Screen video. We will see you next week. Bye.